Well, turn with me to 1 John 1. The title of the message this morning is God is Light. I'd like to look at this 1 John 1 and get a better understanding of light and darkness in our lives. So, as an introduction to 1 John, um, the, the three epistles of John here, 1 John 1, 2, and 3, though we don't know for sure, seem to have been written by the Apostle John. All things point to that. Some things, unless, you know, unless the, the, apostles, the, the epistle says exactly, you, know, you can never be perfectly sure, but it seems like he did. And... Um, he is the apostle who refers to himself and is referred to in Scripture at least five times as the one whom Jesus loved. Very, he and Jesus were very, very close. And so as we look at into the, the Scripture where it says, um, whom our eyes have seen, we've looked upon, our hands have handled, that was literally what John did. I mean, he was in physical contact with Jesus. It said he leaned upon his bosom. You know, he, he was very, very close with Jesus when he was here on earth. It's the same John that wrote the book of John. And it seems that he lived to a rather old age um, had, and had pastoral care of several of the churches of Asia Minor. And it was, this book was most likely a letter that John wrote to be circulated amongst the churches. Not necessarily to a specific church, but something written to encourage anyone who came in contact with it. And we can read it as that for ourselves today. Now, most likely, he was at Ephesus at the time of this writing. And it could have been written any time from after, well, any time after the A.D. 60, from there on up, the latter 60s, maybe as late as the end of the first century. He could have been a very old man when he wrote this. We don't know. So what was John's goal in writing 1 John, 2 John, 3 John? Well, can anybody tell me, from your knowledge of 1 John, what the purpose was? It's okay if you speak up. It's all right. <laughs> Let's go to 1 John um, 5, verse 13. Let's see what it says in his own words. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. That verse flies in the face of a lot of teaching. Some of you are very familiar with it. But it's not just locally that that is taught, that you can't know that you're a born-again believer. There are many denominations, I say many, there are, there are denominations out there that simply say you can't know that you're saved. You can hope, but you can't know. This verse says that ye may know. You can know that you're a born-again believer, that you are saved. And that's why he wrote 1 John. Now, he's also writing to combat Gnosticism. 
It's a big word, and we won't have time to get into that much today. We'll look at just a little bit. But that's the purpose John was writing, to let you and I know, we study First John and study our own lives, are we a true believer? Are we born again? Let's read First John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and shown to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's go back to verse 1. I said, we'll talk a little bit about Gnosticism. And in this verse, he, rebu- he rebuts Gnosticism straight out. He says, our hands have handled. Now, one of the teachings of the Gnostics of that day was that all matter was evil. Earth, anything that we could, we could see, feel, or touch is basically evil. And so Jesus could not have been fully human, could not have been flesh and blood, because that would have meant he was evil. Well, Jesus was 100% man. He was also 100% God. That's why John said, we touched him. He was real, and I know it. So that was a, one of the things he was, well, how he was um, combating Gnosticism. Verses 2 to 4, I'd like to paraphrase it a little bit. He says, I'm showing you that Jesus was real, eternal present at creation, and is, and is the source of all true joy. We can, as we envision Jesus, we could kind of get a mystical figure in our minds. But to see him as flesh and blood, real, as John is trying to portray him here, a brother, a, a person at what, who walked on this earth, who feels the way we do and showed us through that who the Father is. Verse 4, it brings out that your joy may be full. Now where does fullness of joy come from? There's two things. It comes from knowing Jesus. We understand that. 
but also comes from fellowship with the saints. Look at verse 3. That ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. It's fellowshipping with God and with the saints. And in, as you look at your spiritual life, when do you feel most complete in Christ? It's when, for me, I, I, I assume that's the reason we want to get together to worship. We are designed to enjoy fellowshipping and worshiping together as a body of believers. And I truly believe that's where the fullness of joy can come as we relate in fellowship. We are not an island. Someone who withdraws from humanity and tries to become just an island unto themselves, I don't think people are designed by God to be that way. They can think they want to be that way, but true joy comes in relating with our brotherhood and being part of a larger body of believers and worshiping God. That brings us to verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So what is light? Let's take a look at what, if God is light, what is light? Do you think Paul understood what the scientific definition of light? I don't think he did. But the funny thing is nobody does today either really. I can give you what Wikipedia gives. And the best I could description I can give, light or visible light is electromagnetic radiation within the portion of the electromagnetic spectrum that is perceived by the human eye. And maybe Brother John can understand that, but I sure can't. <laughs> but light is what lets us see. Nobody can truly, as best I can find in my research, we, nobody can completely, 100% understand light. But it's what allows us to see. Without light, we're blind. What we know about light is that light exposes what is in darkness. And where light is, darkness cannot be. Now that depends on the intensity of the light. But darkness is simply the absence of light. They are opposites. John didn't understand what light is when he said God is light. But he understood what it did, what it does in a physical sense. How it drives away darkness and it exposes things and it makes life, gives us the ability to live life. If you cannot see, it makes life much more difficult. As you think of the people around you that are walking in darkness, they're like... You very seldom see one, somebody like that, and maybe never, that their life is simple. I mean, it's, it's without light, the light of God in their lives, it makes it much harder. So what is light spiritually? I would say it's that which comes from God, the source of all true light, that lets us see and drives away darkness. And all of us have experienced darkness in our lives. All of us have had repentant of sin. All of us know the feel of the weight of some failure in our lives and how that clouds our vision, clouds our spiritual perception, how it, it dims everything. When we start to live in that, if we let ourselves live in sin, it just, darkness sets in. 
So true light from God is the power which comes from God that drives away darkness and exposes what is actually there. Now, Isaiah spoke of this true light in the prophecy of Jesus' birth, and he said, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Jesus' birth was what he was talking about. As Jesus came to earth, even the religious people were living in darkness. There were very few that actually knew the truth, that actually sought God from their heart, especially in the leadership, it seems like, because, I mean, Jesus was very upfront with them. They, their hearts were full of darkness. Jesus came to give them light. Some people were repulsed from the light, I guess, because it seemed like they were. So now we talk about light, what light is. What is spiritual darkness? Spiritual darkness is the absence of God's presence in our lives. And there are two forces in the spiritual world. It's light and darkness. Christ and Satan. That's all. Now, we can think there's a multitude on both sides. We don't understand the spiritual world, and I'm not sure we're really supposed to, not all the nuances of what goes on. But there's no middle ground. It's light and it's darkness. And very few of us have experienced utter spiritual darkness. Even when we lived in sin, we were still living in a community, in families, in where light was still permeating was still having an effect. God's presence was still having an effect. Missionaries get into areas where there is complete darkness. It's, it's palpable. I mean, you can feel the darkness, the evil. We, very few of us know that kind of evil, but it's out there. So in our lives, we either walk in the light or we give way to the darkness. Is there areas in our lives that we are allowing or not letting the light shine? If we don't let the light shine on that area, it creates darkness. Is there dark areas in our lives? Now, let's leave that for a moment. Can anybody think about, or think about what today is? What's the date? October 31. Today is Halloween. I didn't build a sermon on Halloween. There's a lot we could go into. But there's a few things I'd like to talk about. On the surface, today, October 31st, seems fairly benign and fun to most. Now, I don't, I don't think most of you would, would celebrate Halloween. But we see the, the people celebrating it. And, you know, it's not a huge thing to most of us. But I want us to understand, I want to briefly help us understand what today is to the other side. Halloween is essentially to the Satanists what Easter is to the Christian. Easter, we celebrate life. Today, they celebrate death. It is the Satanist's most, most important holiday. They have one other one that's very, very close to it. But today is a huge day in the demonic world. Tonight will be specifically. 
And I'm not going to do, go into much detail about what all happens in the occult realm on Halloween. I don't want to really go there. But I would say that as we look back through Scripture and you see the, the satanic idol worship, do you think that Satan has changed from then till now? Satan inspired those people to do those things in their worship of him then, and it pleased him. What do you think has changed about Satan? It hasn't. Satan's the same old demonic devil he's always been. The same things please him now as it did then, and the same things still happen. I don't think we as Christians want anything to do with Halloween. Turn to Deuteronomy 18, let's read verses 9 to 15. Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 to 15. One of the things that, is, is, that you see represented in Halloween is people dressing up as ghosts and witches and all this stuff, and that's how they decorate. So what they celebrate, one of the things they celebrate is that the afterworld, they call it, or the demonic world, on this night, supposedly the... The departed spirits can come back and roam around and scare people. Well, you kind of see people celebrating that with their children. Let's read this. Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 to 15. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divinations, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a ne necromancer. And a necromancer would be what the witch was, we, or the lady of Endor that we talked about last, last Sunday in our Sunday school lesson. She brought someone up from the dead. They were an avenue for, to, bring, to speak to dead people. That's a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. For these nations which thou shalt possess hearkened unto observers of times and unto diviners. But as for thee, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee to do so. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. You look at that list of things that God said don't have anything to do with them. And you see it portrayed all around us Halloween nights. So it's Halloween. Now Halloween did originally start supposedly as a Christian holiday. It's, it was the night before All Saints Day in the, uh, Ireland or something. There's some variations there of what happened, but Today, for us, is Halloween a celebration of light or darkness? And I'd submit it's pretty much a celebration of darkness. Some people don't celebrate it that way. I'm not trying to condemn someone who has went trick-or-treating or something, but we don't need to have any part of Halloween. We are God's children. We are the kingdom of light. Let's celebrate that. Let's not have anything to do with the darkness. Verse 5 of our text says, God is light and there is no darkness in him. 
let's not show that we have part of darkness in any way. So let's consider who God is to us. If God is light, how do we view him? Who is he to us? What is my way of thinking about God? Do I see him as a moral standard that I have to somehow grudgingly live up to? Or do I see him as a source of light that frees me from this darkness we've been talking about? Psalm 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. If we don't have light to lead us, to shine on our, on our lives, to show us who we are, if we don't have vision, we're going to perish. And I believe Jesus is that light. God shines that into our lives to show us where the darkness is. So what does it mean in verse 6 that it's, when it says to walk in darkness? To walk means to move around in or to continue in. It has a connotation of enjoying or intentionally taking part of something. If I go for a walk with my wife, it's a, you know, we go for a walk together. We don't just happen to bump into each other and then go our separate ways. It's, you're doing something. Walking is a continuation in something. So, what does it mean to walk in darkness? If continuing in darkness, walking around in it, continuing in it, is, is that describes us. That describes our life. Let me get back here to First John one. one. I got I got away from my text here. So if we say verse six, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, continue in, enjoy the part being in it. If we walk in darkness, we say that we have light, we walk in darkness, we're lying. And we do not the truth. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, if we continue in light, continue as, we, as these things, as we live our life, sure there's times that we face things in our lives that we don't like. We see weaknesses. Do we continue in them? Or do we say, wait a minute, deal with it, and go on? If you're walking in the light, if your life is an intentional walk of living for the Lord, you're walking in the light. If your life is an intentional walk of living for Satan, living, following your evil desires, you're walking in darkness. Where are we? We're in one or the other. Where is your heart? Is it following after God or is it following after self, lusts, Satan, darkness? First end of verse 7 says, And the blood of Jesus, if we're walking in the light, and the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now, what does that mean? Let's look at verse 8. Well, it, as I, I asked, what, what does it mean? It means that it keeps on cleaning. And why is this necessary? Why does the blood of Jesus keep on cleaning us? Look at verse 8. 
If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. It's right there. This verse is why we're planning revivals this week. No one is perfect. We all live in a world that is constantly putting pressure on us to turn away from the light. The darkness of self and sin is a constant force to be dealt with, no matter how old we are. And that pressure sometimes pushes areas into our lives that we don't even realize are there. Or maybe we do and don't know how to deal with. If we deal with them to the best of our knowledge, we're still walking in the light. But we have a week of revivals to help us see those areas that can be more fully lit up by God's presence. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So does that mean that we can truly be cleansed before God? Clean, holy, walking in the light? Yeah, we can. And I may be wrong about this, and y'all can correct me if I am. But I believe that this means that if we stay up to date and confess when, when the Holy Spirit lays something on our lives, we confess it to God. We repent of it. If we need to confess it to someone else, we do. We, clean, we keep up to date in our spiritual lives. And even like this week, if we're having revivals and the Lord lays his finger on a spot in my heart, I say, you're right, Lord, that's not like it ought to be, and I confess and, th- and deal with it. If that's the life we're living, if that, t- if that describes you, are you, still, are you perfect? In God's eyes, yes, but we still fail. But it, his blood is cleansing us. It's taking care of those. His grace is taking care of the air, other areas we don't realize. We are being cleansed from all unrighteousness if we are up to date. Does this mean that we're perfect? That we're absolutely don't ever fail. Absolutely not. Look at verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar. The whole word of God is here to show us what, how we ought to live. And if we say we're perfect, we don't need God, we're making him a liar. We all need the Holy Spirit's light shining in our lives. That's why we need revival meetings. That's why we need an intense time of looking into our hearts and lives and saying, Am I truly up to date? Is my life really what God wants it to be? Now, honest confession here. I have not always looked forward to revivals. You know, we never look forward to dealing with areas in our lives that we really don't want to uncover. Let's look at it another way. Have you ever regretted the peace and joy you found when you're truly broken before God? When there's something there and you say, okay, God, here it is. I'll do whatever. I repent. I'm sorry. And you deal with whatever it is God lays on your heart. God shows you. I never have. Let's look forward to revivals in that way. Not as a dread of what we might have to do, but as anticipation of what we get to do. We cannot let God's light shine out if we don't let it in. Matthew 5, 14 says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. 
Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. There's one thing that will draw others to God, and that's the light coming out of your heart. You've got to let it in. We have to let God have his way in our hearts if that light's going to do any good in the world around us. And I give you an example. A friend of mine came to me, and you would know both these people, so I'm not going to give names. But a friend of mine came to me, and he, he was talking to me about somebody else, and he said, you know, you can just see the light of God in their eyes. What a testimony. When you can look at someone and the look on their face every day, anytime you meet that couple, it's, it's, it's a married couple, anytime you meet them, the joy of the Lord is shining on their face. There's no hiding it. What a testimony. That's the way I want my life to be. I'm afraid it's not always. We have to let that light shine in if we want it to shine out. Let's be in anticipation and prayer for revivals this week. There's a lot of darkness out there, but there's a lot of light right here and in our midst as we get together and fellowship around God's word. Let's live that light to the best of our ability. And as God leads us, let's have a song.